Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. This Wednesday, Connecticut begins to open up. But what does this mean for parents who must return to work? Some daycares have stayed open since the start of the pandemic to help essential workers like hospital and nursing home staff. But many providers also closed. This public health crisis isn't over. Will daycares be able to reopen while following state and federal guidance, like implementing smaller classes or groups to limit the spread of the coronavirus? And can they afford additional staff? And what happens to summer camp programs? Today, where we live, the Commissioner of Connecticut's Office of Early Childhood, Beth Bai, joins us for the hour. Are you a parent? Do you own a daycare? Or do you provide summer camp programs? Let us know how you plan on reopening, or if you're worried that it won't be possible. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. And as always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining the show on Zoom is Commissioner Beth Bai, again, of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. Commissioner Bai, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks, Lucy, for having me. So we're two months on in this shutdown. Now the state's slowly beginning to reopen uh, this week. How many licensed daycares are in Connecticut, and how many have been able to stay open, Commissioner Bai? Um, well, uh, there's a balance of uh, both family child care and center-based care, and about 60% of the center-based programs have, I'm sorry, 60% of the family child care homes have remained open, and uh, between 30 and 40% of the centers have remained open. Uh, the rest have closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, right now we have a little under a third of the centers open, but more are looking at reopening as mm-hmm. things slowly reopen. And when you talk about family home daycares, they've been able to stay open, more of them, because they have a much smaller uh, group setting than, a, say, a, a daycare center? Well, that's part of it, I think. Um, they have tight relationships with their families and understand you know, that some families um, really need them at this time. Um, they are experiencing lower numbers of children in their programs as parents, many parents have chosen to keep their children home. So you know, they've been struggling too with some of the challenges that all businesses are facing, um, but most of them have remained open. So what does that mean when there are fewer families in these family home daycares? Again, um, not very many daycare centers open. What have you been hearing from providers about how they're going to be able to uh, be able to remain open and have the budgets to do it? Well, I think we're at a time of incredible crisis for child care. Uh, the business function and structure of child care was already challenged before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the public health guidance is really important at this time. Uh, and we've been working with the Center for Disease Control and the State Department of Public Health. But as you mentioned, that requires smaller group sizes. So the businesses cannot have the same enrollment as they would have had previously. It's cut in half. And add to that, you know, parents are going to come back slowly, not all at once, uh, the minute programs open the door. And these are individual family decisions about returning to childcare. So 
but we know from the bipartisan policy center uh, that it'll be it'll take a while uh, for families to come back and centers to reach their full capacity. So they're in crisis right now, really. Mm. So when we look at Connecticut, how many child care slots are we talking about, Commissioner By, that may be lost? Well, according to the Center for American Progress, uh, Connecticut could lose as many as 45,000 child care spaces as programs will struggle to first reopen and then stay open. So uh, we are we've just surveyed uh, child care centers in Connecticut and 70 percent have said this is very detrimental uh, to their business and um, lost revenue and public health concerns are their biggest challenges as well as supplies. So um, that survey is going to guide how we use our remaining federal dollars uh, to support programs staying open. 45,000 slots, that's a lot of spaces for children. So what are some of the consequences that one parent may not be able to return to work? Or I'm just trying to figure out what that means for so many families out there, Commissioner. Well, it's a big, big challenge. I mean, childcare is really part of our workforce infrastructure in Connecticut and across the country. And so uh, we have been working with Congress, with FEMA and other organizations uh, to say that we need funding to help childcare get through the next 12 months if we want that infrastructure when the economy comes back. Because without it, uh, it means that families, some families will fall into poverty, stay in poverty, um, and uh, parents will be forced to make difficult decisions about uh, how to both make a living and have childcare supports. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty difficult situation, and and that's why we're looking both at federal uh, sources of funds and trying to maximize the use of the funds that Connecticut got um, because of the COVID crisis. At the same time, I'm thinking about all of those very essential child care workers that families have come to rely on that may have either lost their job or been furloughed. What's the future look like for them? Well, um, I, I think there will certainly you know, be a demand for child care. What it will look like, uh, we're not entirely sure. Uh, but they're, they're concerned about their jobs and centers are concerned about uh, staying in business. So um, we're doing some things like uh, really uh, leaning in. We, we had a grant from the 4CT group and the Regional Funders Collaborative to try to open up 10 support networks for family child care homes because they are under stress. And then we're looking for ways to support the centers uh, through this time. But it is a pandemic and we just don't know uh, what it's going to look like a month from now or two months from now. And so we've got to do all we can to help the programs reopen and they said, you know, cash flow is the number one thing they need help with, as well as personal protective equipment. So we're going to do our best to support them. And we've been able to support the state funded child care centers um, because there was funding in the state budget. And we've been able to stabilize those programs. But the private programs have not had that kind of support. So we're really uh, turning our um, gaze to them and think about how in the month of June uh, can we help those programs. Mm. We're getting a lot of social media comments, uh, Commissioner By again, she's Commissioner of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. Aaliyah on Twitter writes, I've been lucky to have my daycare stay open. Class sizes are significantly reduced. Staff are wearing masks and CDC guidelines are being followed. So tell us a little bit more about that, Commissioner By. when we think about class sizes, how many children can be in a daycare setting and how, what's the, the, the teacher-child ratio? 
Yes, um, we are following CDC guidelines and we've been working closely with Dr. Carter and Dr. Sosa at the Department of Public Health because for all of us, public health has to come at the front of all of these concerns. And so the class sizes are 10 per classroom and program sizes of 30. Now, if programs can show that they can maintain separation among groups, uh, they can apply for a waiver and serve more than 30 children. Um, but I have to have a big shout out to the childcare workers who've been on the front line. And it's clear that they have been following the protocols. Uh, children are screened on the way in for temperature. If they have a temperature above 100, or they cannot come in and staff are screened as well. Uh, there is hand washing, there's enhanced cleaning and the small groups and now uh, the masks that are being worn uh, by the staff. So uh, these measures have, have been uh, pretty effective, um, you know, to have almost 1,500 programs open uh, during the pandemic. And these programs have been taking this public health um, guidelines, the public health guidelines very seriously. Let's hear from one of those uh, child care uh, workers. Alicia Park joins us now on Zoom. Again, this is where we live. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. But Alicia Park is a preschool teacher at Educational Play Care in Avon, Connecticut. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So we were talking about how this is all possible during the pandemic. What did uh, Educational Play Care in Avon have to do to accommodate uh, some of the families that were considered essential workers? Well, within that that first week or so of the uh, shutdown, we had a dramatic reduction in in numbers. My class, I teach pre-K four-year-olds. Uh, my class went from 20 to one within a week. So my center actually has four buildings. We did close down two of our buildings. And for the people who've stayed, we kind of combined into classrooms. Um, as Commissioner Bai was saying, we've kind of had to follow all the CDC guidelines for cleaning. Educational play care centers all are equipped with Zono machines, which we use to sanitize toys. So we are pretty much using those constantly. We have two machines at our center. Um, so we're putting all of our toys on a daily basis, multiple times a day through those to sanitize. We use disinfectant on all the surfaces at all times, every 20 minutes or so during drop off and pickup times. And of course, we're wearing masks. We're not letting parents into the classrooms and we're taking everyone's temperature who enters the building. Mm. Uh, we're hearing that it's essential for uh, workers to wear a mask, but when it comes to children, especially when I'm thinking infant care, uh, you know, children are constantly putting uh, things in their mouths. Uh, it must be really stressful to have to uh, really double down. And how do you can work on sanitizing as much as possible, uh, Alicia? Well, of course, we have the staff um, in our centers to help. We really work together as a team to get stuff out so they can put things in the zonal machine. Um, we're taking even even our playgrounds are being sanitized between groups where we're um, putting disinfectant on all the hard surfaces. Um, the kids are really used to seeing us clean. It's really part of our day, you know, between after mealtimes and after art activities, we're always cleaning the tables anyway. So it's kind of built into our schedules almost. So the kids are very used to it. When it comes to costs uh, to run, again, the educational play care centers in Avon, you said there are four uh, different uh, buildings, I believe that's what you said. Uh, when it comes to thinking about cleaning those, but also staffing because enrollment has dropped, um, how have you seen uh, your uh, staff numbers change? 
Um, we had a lot of staff who, who voluntarily left because they wanted to make that choice for themselves and their family. Um, we've had the la last week, we were actually able to reopen one of our buildings, which has been exciting. Kids are trickling back. And we, we took two teachers back last week. Um, we had a couple, at least one more staff come back this week. So we're looking forward and, and moving ahead. And we're really looking forward to having more staff and more kids come back in the next few weeks. Mm. Um, as Connecticut starts to slowly reopen, what are some of the concerns that you and your colleagues have, Alicia? Uh, do you need more guidance or support from the state? I think everything's been very clear. Um, we The biggest thing is the dramatic decrease in size. My preschool building usually holds, I would say, about 70 kids on a daily basis at this point and probably throughout the summer. We can only have 20 kids in that building. So um, we do have one more building yet to reopen. So we'll be able to accommodate more children and more staff. And we're looking forward to that. But um, I think the guidance has been very clear and we have been keeping everything clean, everything's going really well, the kids are safe, and I don't think they've noticed much of a distant, uh, difference in the quality of care or in the safety. It's just um, just the increased cleaning. Mm. Uh, Commissioner Beth Bai, I wanted to have you come back into our, uh, this conversation. Uh, earlier, we talked about uh, 45,000 child care slots uh, could be lost in Connecticut again because of the pandemic, because of social distancing guidelines, uh, trying to keep uh, things safe. I'm wondering what kind of conversations you've had with the governor about these challenges uh, when it comes to child care. Yes, um, I've talked with both the governor and the lieutenant governor over the past few days about these challenges. And of course, the governor's had a big focus on workforce and the governor's workforce council um, is focused on this challenge and has been making recommendations about ways that we may be able to support it. Um, I think he sees childcare as essential. He's made that really clear during this pandemic. He understands how important it is. Um, he was um, he was on the line with me as early as six this morning, uh, sending an email asking about, you know, how's the childcare going with the reopen and how can we support various groups of workers who are coming back online. Um, so I think it's high on his list of importance for, uh, as well as for David Lehman and uh, DECD has been working closely with us as well. So we sort of see this as a critical factor for reopening. Mm. Uh, Commissioner Bai, before you became commissioner, you were a longtime uh, state lawmaker, state senator. You have been involved in early childhood uh, education uh, for uh, many years. How worried are you uh, as we move forward? Uh, because even with uh, changing class sizes and, and making things safe uh, for families, again, there is a big a gap in the amount of slots that are available and what the impact is on children. Uh, because uh, child care is more than just a babysitting and watching a child and making sure that they don't hurt themselves. Yeah, um, we're, we're worried because, you know, as we know, those first five years, uh, the brain is uh, both has great potential, but also there are hazards if the brain doesn't get what it needs in those early years. And structure and routine and high quality early childhood education are known to be uh, some of the best inve investments a community can make in terms of long-term outcomes, uh, both for children and for families and the community. And we know how important childcare is to help families uh, move up and out of poverty as well. So uh, we're pretty concerned and, and uh, we're gonna be talking with Rosa DeLauro in Congress and our senators. Um, there was a national ask of $50 billion to bail out 
um, childcare because of this need to, to fill in. And there was seven billion put in the house bill. So we, we know that that's not gonna be enough uh, to sustain, sustain our providers. But I will say our Connecticut providers are incredibly resilient. In our survey that just closed last week, uh, more than 85% said they plan to reopen and we need to do all we can to support them because they're really supporting children's brain development. They're supporting families' economic, or their ability to move up the economic ladder. Um, and so our communities rely on them. So we're, we're excited um, to do all we can uh, to help these uh, folks who are on the front lines and supporting uh, Connecticut's economy, but more important, supporting, you know, growing healthy young children. Again, you're hearing Commissioner Beth Baugh here on Where We Live. Uh, she leads the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. I want to thank Alicia Park for joining us. She's a preschool teacher at Educational Play Care in Avon, Connecticut. Alicia, welcome. thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, coming up, uh, if social distancing must continue for the summer, what does this mean for summer camps? Are you debating whether to keep your child at home? Is this even possible with your job situation? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about how parents and child care providers are weighing options as the state slowly reopens. My guest today is Beth By. She's the commissioner of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. Now, summertime for many children means participating in day camps or overnight programs. But the pandemic has altered this tradition, too. You can join us, especially if you're wondering what that means for your child, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Kristen's calling in. Kristen, uh, what's your question? Good morning, and good morning, Commissioner Bai. Um, As a parent of a teen who attends overnight camp every summer, we have been looking for guidance from your office and from the governor as to whether or not overnight camps will be allowed to operate this summer. There seems to be a plethora of ambiguity surrounding this topic. Could you please, once and for all, tell us whether or not overnight camps are going to be allowed to open in Connecticut this summer? Yes, I really appreciate the question, and I have to apologize for the delay in the official announcement. There has been work being done on the reopen executive order and the camps are part of that executive order, which will be signed as early as tonight. We we were hoping to have that done by the end of last week, but there are a lot of um, parts to that executive order. So it's complicated. Um, At the governor's press conference uh, last week, uh, uh, Paul Mounds announced uh, when asked that um, overnight camps would not reopen um, we are waiting to get that in the executive order for that, you know, to have it be official and legal. But the health committee of the Reopen Connecticut uh, was very clear that they were concerned about overnight camps. And uh, it's it's disappointing, we know, um, for families and for programs. Um, but that is the guidance that is expected to come from the governor's office um, when the executive order is signed, uh, mm-hmm. likely this evening. 
Uh, Commissioner By, when you say that there were concerns from the Public Health Committee about overnight camps, uh, tell us more about the concerns. Is it because children would be uh, in close contact, sleeping in quarters with other children? I'm just wondering if you could walk us through what some of the concerns are with overnight camp. Yeah, um, I can I can tell you from from listening to the doctors, it was the amount of contact among children and and look, we're 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 looking at very like. Nothing is totally clear. We have to make difficult decisions, and the Reopen Connecticut group has to make difficult decisions uh, with public health uh, guidance in mind. And I think the idea of uh, children being in cabins for extended period periods, sharing that air uh, for that period of time, um, was a big concern uh, for for the um, for the committee. And they have to. Uh, look at the big picture here. So that that was the guidance that they provided. So what does that mean for day camp programs, uh, Commissioner By? Uh, I was looking on uh, your website. I'm looking at uh, guidance from April 23rd for youth mm-hmm. camp guidance. I, I believe that would be for, for day camps. And so I'm just wondering um, how they'll be able to operate this summer. Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's a great question, Lucy. Many of them face the same challenges that child care programs face with, you know, smaller groups allowed. They um, That guidance is also in this executive order. Uh, the one change from the guidance, there are a couple of changes from the guidance that was there before. One is that the governor has decided that rather than June 29th, the camps can open on June 22nd uh, because of some of the concerns around childcare, but of course, if they open, they have to meet strict public health guidance, which is also group sizes of 10, that they are able to maintain a group, uh, that they socially distance as they can, that, you know, there are uh, masks that the counselors wear and the older children wear uh, to prevent the spread of disease. Um, But camps will be able to reopen uh, based on some of the public health guidance. I think the other change uh, that we expect to come in the executive order today is um, that families will be notified about comorbidities that are of concern. Again, all of this keeping up with the Center for Disease Control changes in their guidance, but our guidance will very much mirror the Center for Disease Control guidance. Uh, Gary's calling from New Canaan. Uh, Gary, you're on the show. Yes, hi, this is Gary Bloom, Camp Leyland, New Canaan, and I want to thank uh, Commissioner uh, Beth By because this is not an easy time. Lots of decisions and lots of moving parts. Um, you just answered um, some of my questions. We are a day camp, and we know that the landscape is going to be different this summer, and we have uh, developed protocols for that. I guess we're waiting for the final guidelines. Um, I thought the other day when the governor said that we could open June 22nd that that was a mistake on his part, but I, I guess that's going to be changed. The other question um, we are thinking about uh, are swimming pools, and I'm wondering if that's part of the new guidelines that will come out tonight. Um, the pools will be, I think the pools are part of a larger discussion about pools. Um, the Office of Early Childhood has been informing the um, health committee about how pools at camps may be different than public pools. Um, I know there are still some concerns about pools. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% positive what the guidance will be, but we know that pools are an important part of summer for kids. And um, I think there'll be guidance coming out today. 
Uh, but that doesn't mean that as the CDC changes guidance and as Connecticut continues to look at that guidance and work with our Department of Public Health that things could change on that front. Um, so that's that's the best answer I can give you at this moment till everything is finalized and signed in the executive order. Again, you can join where we live as we talk about child care, uh, summer camp options this summer in a pandemic. The number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Commissioner Beth Bai is with us of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. And we wanted to get more perspective on uh, what it'll be like to operate a summer day camp program. Uh, Keith Garbart's joining us now on Zoom. He's camp director at Winding Trails in Farmington, Connecticut. Keith, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your camp uh, before the pandemic. You know, how big is it? And, you know, how many kids are you serving? Okay, before the pandemic, we served uh, roughly 650 campers per session, uh, per two-week session. So almost almost 2,000 campers lost during the summer uh, with about 200 staff. Um, you know, a traditional summer day camp that does all your typical activities from archery, swimming, to boating, to hiking, climbing, um, all sorts of stuff. So uh, pre-pandemic, we were a, uh, you know, outdoor camp and we'll continue to be an outdoor camp moving forward. So what are some of the changes you've had to put in place uh, now that we are in this public health crisis, Keith? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think we put uh, contingency plans on top of contingency plans uh, to make sure we can do this uh, safely for this summer. Um, and we appreciate uh, Commissioner Bai um, in her office providing us with, with some guidance as far as that goes. So for, for the summer, um, camp will certainly look a little bit different, um, but we hope that the feel of camp um, will not be too different. Um, we will be doing uh, temperature checks of staff and campers as they come into camp each morning. Um, the small groups, as Commissioner Bai mentioned, will have groups of 10, or typically we have groups of between 12 and 15. Um, and those groups would co-mingle you know, amongst each other. But for this summer, you know, our groups will be self-isolated, kind of their own little units uh, as they walk around our camp. Um, all activities are outdoor activities for us anyways. So we um, you know, don't have to worry too much about indoors, you know, having campers in indoor spaces. So you know, camp will certainly, like I said, look a little bit different, um, smaller groups. But I think the counselors are going to have an opportunity to really connect with their small group of campers in a really special way this summer. What about busing? I know in where my uh, children are, uh, there are camps that offer uh, bus service around the neighboring towns. Uh, what does that mean uh, for your camp, Keith? Sure, absolutely. So again, pre-pandemic, we had 10 buses that served the greater Hartford region. Um, this year, we have decided uh, not to do busing for this summer. Um, also, I don't think there's been guidance that's come out you know, yet that has even allowed us to do busing. I'm sure that the committee is talking about that. But for this summer, we will do all drop-offs um, at camp. So we are going to do three different waves of drop-offs. Um, each, you know, each wave will have, you know, roughly 100 campers coming in at a time going into their assigned groups. Um, so it will certainly change things a little bit. And we have thought busing, you know, might hurt our numbers as far as camper numbers, but we've actually seen our camper numbers stay pretty solid uh, throughout that process. So kids just want, and kids and families just want camp this summer. Mm. Uh, Commissioner Bai, uh, what is the guidance on uh, providing buses for these day camps? Yes, uh, the busing guidance is being worked out along with the summer school busing guidelines. Um, so again, those will be released when we release the guidelines. I know that committee is meeting this afternoon at three o'clock. Uh, that may be to finalize some of the guidance on busing. Um, all of this 
you know, given the pandemic, everything is is moving over time. But I expect that any busing will include uh, social distancing, you know, where children try to maintain those groups at 10. And I think if there's busing uh, that we've talked about that children will be need to screen for temperature before they get on the bus. Uh, so those are some of the items uh, that are being looked at. And I just have to give a shout out to Keith, who has been um, a great partner in Winding Trails, um, has been meeting with us uh, over the course of the past year and working on challenges and issues. And I think this is a particular challenge uh, and they're willing to open and serve kids uh, following really strict public health guidance. And um, not all camps are doing that, um, but I think we recognize that uh, camps are providing some critical childcare for some of those frontline workers and critical experiences for children. Mm. Well, we heard from Jared on Facebook who writes, camps need time to plan uh, to new guidelines and acquire proper PPE. Every day the state waits to let us know what the guidelines are as one less day we can properly prepare. Uh, Commissioner By, um, has the state uh, done enough uh, to get this guidance out? Uh, again, you've, been, you've mentioned that the governor is going to be having an executive order coming out today, but it just seems like there's a, a, still a lot of ambiguity and a lot of these camp operators and parents are really concerned. What are they going to do this summer? Yeah, I think it's a really fair question. And I think uh, we all want to get it out as quickly as possible. And um, CDC issued new guidelines last week. So those had to be taken into account. Um, also, that's why we went to great lengths to issue a very detailed memo at the end of April, knowing the programs were making these decisions. But you know, all I can do is say, I'm sorry, we were hoping to have them out Friday. Um, but because it's part of uh, a very large reopen executive order, uh, it's not. And we understand the stresses camps are under. I was on the phone with about 20 programs in New Haven last week, all that want to meet their mission of serving children and families um, and need this guidance. And, and we recognize this. Uh, we are also listening to some of the concerns around supplies and looking for ways that we can support camps with some of those supplies that are difficult uh, to get. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, as we talk about child care options uh, for the summer, including summer camp programs. We just heard Commissioner Bai say that overnight uh, summer camps are not going to be permitted because of social distancing, the fact that we're still in this public health crisis. But that means uh, that's going to provide a, a lot of gaps in care for children this summer as parents must return to work. Not everybody can work remotely. Uh, Chris is calling in from South Wyndham. Chris, you're on the show. Hi, thank you very much. Commissioner By. you know, we've learned how to safely care for people with developmental disabilities in the homes that remain open during this pandemic. And uh, so our camp has created a plan to do the same for the campers that we support with developmental disabilities who rely on our services as their families need respite. With really drastically reduced numbers, we feel we could support a small number of campers residentially following those same strict guidelines. There may be some other resident camps that have the capacity to do so as well. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, Chris, thanks for your call, and, and you do provide critical services for families. Um, I would be happy to uh, have a conversation with you and the commissioner of BDS uh, to the extent that you're serving program, you're serving uh, families um, in DDS, and, and maybe we could work with them uh, to think about how this matches up with some of their group homes and some of those rules. I think it's, your program's a little different than a lot of the other camps, um, but I appreciate you calling in with that question. Mm -hmm. 
Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Ironically, I just got an email from my uh, son's uh, camp, uh, day camp director, that their camp will not be proceeding uh, this July. And that's certainly disappointing uh, for him when he finds out. But again, uh, Commissioner Bai, I'm just thinking about all of these families who may not uh, qualify for uh, a subsidy for uh, child care or the fact that uh, because of small smaller enrollments, smaller group sizes, they may not be able to find a slot. What is the state's plan to help all these families that are going to be in limbo? Well, uh, we're doing our best to check. We're working with 211 Child Care to keep track of supply right now, uh, which has been important. We still do have space in child care programs in Connecticut that are open, and we hear that more are reopening, I think, to address that challenge. As I mentioned earlier, we are also working um, with philanthropy to uh, to try to enhance support and enhance uh, family child care capacity, which is small groups. Um, a lot of this is unknown. We don't know what the demand will be. Uh, traditionally, as a child care director, I can tell you that in the summer, families often choose informal arrangements um, because of costs, like when they're transitioning to school. Um, but we're, we're tracking it closely. We encourage parents that need help finding childcare to call 211 Childcare, and that really helps us keep track of where the demand and the gaps are. Um, but that's, that's what we're working on uh, right now. We just don't know. I mean, some of the surveys of parents, and certainly my conversation with parents uh, last week indicated to me that some are going to be waiting a while before sending their kids to group childcare and then other parents who are sending their children to group child care at this point have been able to locate licensed care and 211 child care helps them do that. But we know we have a looming challenge. We're working to support programs that are open now with grants uh, because it's called Connecticut Cares for Child Care and any center or family child care home that's listening and hasn't signed up for that can go to the Office of Early Childhood website and sign up to get those funds. And those funds are intended to help programs stay open given these um, challenges. And last week we announced uh, on the Unified Command Call that we'll be extending that those grants to programs through the end of June. And then our frontline workers can also get uh, childcare subsidies. And that's for incomes up to 85% of the state median income uh, to help them afford child care through the end of June. So right now those programs are slated through the end of June. So we've been working hard to keep enough supply uh, during the pandemic and as things reopen, we're just going to have to keep our finger on the pulse and judge what's the demand, how many families are bringing their children back because they're making individual decisions. And then what programs are reopening now because they too are making individual business decisions about when to reopen. Some may decide I'm going to open in September because summer is traditionally a lower point. So uh, we're also working hard to get information and supplies to programs uh, that are looking to reopen. Supplies like PPE or proper sanitation? Yes, um, we have been supplying programs uh, uh, during the pandemic with uh, hand sanitizer and soap through seven regional uh, supply locations. And we have limited amount of PPE to help in the transition. I think programs are transitioning. Uh, we're also looking um, through our emergency service function 14 at, as I said, at some grants to programs to help them 
remain open while enrollment remains low. So um, we have multiple strategies. It's going to take constant assessment, constant communication with the field. Uh, we got a tremendous response to a provider survey uh, where they told us what they would need uh, to reopen. So um, there's just a lot of unknowns, Lucy, and we're doing our best to assess both demand and supply and keep enough supply uh, for the reopen efforts. But it's it's going to be a challenge. Uh, and I think the challenge is going to play out more perhaps in the late fall than we may see right now. So we're really working um, on all fronts uh, to try to maintain supply. Mm. You said something earlier, a lot of families may lean on informal arrangements. So when you say that, what do you mean? Uh, having a babysitter come by in the summer? Uh, so parents yeah, can, okay. in the summer, a lot of families uh, have college students or they share a college student who may work for two families. And um, that's just something that families have traditionally done. And we know that um, during the during the public health emergency, um, fam- we were encouraging families, you know, if you can keep your child home, keep your child home. Second, find trusted neighbors and friends, make sure you check their health status. And third, call 211 child care. So, you know, the guidance has been, you know, encouraging smaller groups. And now as things reopen, you know, I think families will return uh, to some of their traditional child care but some may not. And, and that's what, that's the unknown, Lucy, that we're trying to figure out. But mm-hmm. the Bipartisan Policy Center poll showed that 70% of parents have concerns about returning with their child to a group setting. Mm-hmm. And I was glad to hear Educational Play Care talking about all that they're doing uh, to maintain uh, the safety of children. And, and we've had a number of programs open for hospitals and the other programs open and the track record of the hand washing, um, the screening for temperature, the small group size is pretty good. It's very good, actually. When you talk a lot about the unknowns, that parents really have to weigh levels of acceptable risk. Uh, this idea that the coronavirus is still out there. We know kids can be silent vectors. Uh, Commissioner Bay, we're now hearing that there's this other uh, sickness that some kids have been hospitalized for that might be related to COVID-19. It's a really a high time of anxiety. Yes, it is. It's a, it's, it's a high time of anxiety. And I think Everybody is doing their best. I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind is we're having this conversation because there's a virus out there and we don't know everything. Uh, But we do know that things like face masks, hand washing, small groups um, are important. And I will tell you, the other thing we know is that I explained how we're driving people to 211 childcare to find childcare. And the childcare has been so critical because more than half of the calls coming to 211 childcare are from hospital workers. And second place is nursing home workers. Mm-hmm. And third place is home health care workers. So these these frontline workers do need child care. And Governor Lamont has been saying that from the beginning to me is we can't get behind this, Beth. We've got to make sure that those frontline workers have child care. And then, of course, we had to implement very strict public health guidelines for those child care programs that were open. Also, one shout out, too, to the family child care providers who've been providing this uh, critical care during this time and have moved from providing 10% of overall child care in Connecticut to more than 30% of the overall licensed spaces. So, um, you know, things are shifting. Mm -hmm. 
You're hearing Commissioner Beth Bayh again of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. Keith Garbert's also with us. He's Camp Director at Winding Trails in Farmington, Connecticut. When we come back from a short break, we're going to hear more from Keith about how the day camp day will proceed uh, in this pandemic, more about uh, precautions, social distancing, and what activities can and can't happen at day camps this summer. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, Connecticut's slowly reopening in a couple of days, and child care and summer camp providers have a host of new guidelines to follow. Uh, with us on Zoom today is Commissioner Beth Bai of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood and Keith Garbert, Camp Director at Winding Trails in Farmington, Connecticut. Uh, Keith, so we heard a little bit about how there'll be no buses uh, this year at your camp. People will be dropping off. Uh, I'm wondering more about the mask situation. Will all staff have to wear masks, and what about the kids? Sure, absolutely. So yes, um, according to the current guidelines, all of our staff will be wearing masks for this summer. Um, we, again, will encourage campers that are able and you know to, to wear masks, to wear masks. Um, we obviously understand the challenges with that, as was mentioned earlier with childcare. Um, so we will encourage it. Um, we do know that, you know, wearing a mask in the summertime outside, you know, could present some issues. So, um, again, you know, we, we will certainly have all staff wearing masks every time that they're, you know, working with their children um, and then encourage campers to do that. You know, again, understanding the unique uh, circumstances of having a child wear a mask is mm-hmm. unprecedented for sure and seeing that in the outdoor environment. But um, we um, certainly will be following all guidelines um, that CDC slash um, OEC will be putting out. What about athletics and other activities and swimming? Absolutely. So, um, you know, with us, we we do not have a pool. We have an outdoor lake waterfront. So um, our understanding is, you know, we will, again, contingency plan on top of contingency plan. Well, we have a process of splitting up our, you know, H docs that are set up into different quadrants and being able to get those small groups of 10 to be able to distance from other groups of 10. Um, we feel we can accommodate that, you know, using, you know, a very elaborate, you know, rope system and kind of, you know, taking, you know, swim lanes to a different um, degree this summer. But um, so we will, you know, at this point be offering swimming unless we're told that we can't offer swimming, but we are making a plan to accommodate that, you know, if we can. Um, as far as athletics, uh, again, it changes the way athletics looks a little bit, you know, while we won't be playing those full court basketball games and, and soccer and, and pillow polo, which is a big thing at our camp. Uh, we will certainly, you know, figure out ways that we can make those games fun and interactive. Um, we've seen things, you know, we just built a new street hockey area at our camp and, you know, the, it was going to be awesome this summer to see it in action. And then, you know, this happened. So, you know, we're going to kind of make it into more of a foosball type street hockey uh, setup that we would do. So um, the specialists that work with us and my leadership team have been working strongly on making alternative programs and alternative ways to do those sports and activities. So while they, again, may not look the same, uh, they certainly will be able to participate in those activities this summer. So you're working hard to try to make it fun despite uh, the, the public health crisis, Keith. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think I, this has been a challenge for sure. And um, I think camp directors and camps, you know, find ways to make things work. And I think my entire leadership group has, has done a great job trying to accommodate and, and make this um, as close to a normal summer as possible. And, you know, again, it pre, pre uh, 
gives us some challenges for sure, but it gives us great opportunities this summer as well. I want to take a quick call. Uh, Chris is calling in from Middlebury. Chris, you're on the show. Hi, uh, Commissioner Bai. Um, first of all, thank you very much for all you and your team are doing during this difficult time. I'm sure it's been quite a challenge. Um, just a quick question about residential camps. Um, I'm wondering if the committee sort of understood the dynamic of residential camps where um, basically, you know, facilities have the ability to essentially quarantine um, campers and staff for weeks at a time. Um, and to me, in some ways, this seems even a safer environment than maybe a day camp setup where you have campers coming in and out on a daily basis with contact to parents and siblings and community members. Um, so I'm wondering if they understood what the uh, the ability of a residential camp to kind of put that quarantine in place was. Um, and was that part of their decision or how did they come to the decision that a residential camp is actually more dangerous? Thank you, Chris. Go ahead, Commissioner. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. And when you talk about challenges, well, well, certainly we have challenges at OEC and my team has been working incredibly hard. I think the challenges at programs face and challenges at families face are incredible. And I think you can hear uh, from Keith and other callers and folks working in childcare and camps, all that they're doing to try to keep kids safe and healthy and also provide uh, children with these uh, critical experiences and families uh, with childcare. Um, I think, you know, the overnight camp thing was a, was a difficult question and I, I hear your point. I think if you look at it in the larger context of the reopen, so, you know, this executive order is part of a larger reopen order. Um, in the same group are colleges. And, and so they've been looking at sort of sleep away situations and sleep away camps and what are colleges doing for summer sessions, et cetera. And it all fell under the, the same um, sort of grouping of things to consider of different public health concerns to consider and, uh, it was pretty unanimous among the public health experts on the committee related to overnight camps and to colleges that those should be much later in the summer, which then made we, uh, the prospect of overnight summer camps um, seem out of reach. So, um, you know, I, I know it, it's not an easy answer, and these are such critical experiences for kids. Uh, lifelong memories. Mm. Uh, I think the committee took all of that into consideration, but there is a concern yeah. around Com the amount of contact among Commissioner, we're, we're almost out of time. I, I did want to squeeze in a question for Keith and you. What happens, Keith, if a child or a staff member comes down with uh, positive for COVID? Uh, what what happens in terms of, of isolating? Or are you going to open, then close, and then open again? I mean, what's the protocol there, Keith? Sure, absolutely. Obviously, you know, a major worst case scenario, and we certainly plan for that. Um, we will certainly at our camp, we will have we have a nurse and um, that nurse will obviously assess for symptoms and you know move forward with that if we do have if we do have a quarantine space that we can use at our facility as well. Um, but again, being a day camp, that camper can be picked up, taken home. Um, we will then, you know, figure out if they do have a test, if it was confirmed that they do have COVID-19, then we will certainly, that entire group will then be um, staying home as well as the staff and any staff that come in contact with that group. Um, and then from there, we'll assess the situation. Do we need to shut down our entire camp? Do we, can we just isolate? Was it just with that group? Um, so it'll have to be a determination that we'll assess together, not just with us, but also with mm -hmm. uh, uh, Department of Public Health and OEC to determine if we can continue to open. And then if we can continue to open safely and still 
use the, the, the that space, then we, we will continue to operate camp as, mm -hmm. as planned. Um, obviously, the quarantine situation will take effect with our campers and staff until they're completely clear um, and have a, you know, mm -hmm. a non-positive test. Uh, Commissioner By, we just have two minutes left. Did you want to also put, put in some uh, comments about the idea that some programs may have to uh, close and then reopen depending on quarantine scenarios? Yeah, any any um, case is reported to local and state Department of Public Health, and then they make a determination. I think he did a good job of explaining, you know, it sort of explains exactly why we have the small groups of 10. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it every case is so individual. Uh, the few cases we've had with child care programs have been very different one from the other. So we would just rely on guidance from the Department mm -hmm. of Public Health. And then uh, we got a, a comment on Facebook. Alicia wants to know, you know what is the safety recommend recommendations for bringing a babysitter into the home, Commissioner? Um, well, I think the safety recommendations are, you know, common sense, asking, uh, making sure your babysitter doesn't come if they have a fever or they're sick, going through enhanced hand washing and cleaning and good, you know, food service, those kinds of things. I think they're good public health practices for them. Mm. And should the babysitter wear a mask and the children um, in the home not, no mask? Well, uh, the, that would be up because that's a mm -hmm. private residence and a private decision. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, uh, the state is recommending that workers in workplaces wear masks as a mm -hmm. way to reduce disease transmission. Well, we want to thank Commissioner Beth Bai for giving us her time today of the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. Commissioner Bai, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lucy. Uh, this is where we live. Also, thanks to Keith Garbart, Camp Director at Winding Trails. Keith, uh, good to talk with you. Thank you very much, Lucy. Have a great day. Uh, today's show produced by Tess Terrible, Carmen Baskoff on the phones. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>